You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to episode 187 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We brought we record on Wednesday, September 1st, just two days out from the kickoff of the 2021 Hokies football season. We're going to get you set for a packed lane stadium on Friday night against the number 10 Tar Heels. Give you all the key matchups, keys to the game, what the Hokies need to do to pull off the upset victory to start off their season. All that and more coming up on episode 1. 187 of the Tech Sideline podcast, which starts right now. Whether you are listening on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, we welcome you in. If you are watching live in the YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. It'll help out Tech Sideline tremendously. And if you're listening live, make sure you drop a comment or a question in the chat, and we will have David Cunningham get to that later on in the podcast. We are joined by, as always, across the way, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart. To my left, it is our lead analyst and columnist, Chris Coleman. Behind the scenes, it is our managing editor and the best producer in the land for today. (laughs) Once again, David Cunningham, who is filling in once again and always does a great job there. The Tech Sideline podcast is brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center, bringing Olympic hopeful wrestlers to one of the best and fastest growing wrestling programs in the country. Make sure you visit southeastrtc.com for more information and to donate today. I'm Jake Lyman. I'll be your host today, and I want to throw it over to Will across the way. I know you have some housekeeping stuff to go. With. Yes. So first of all, uh, somebody reminded me of something I'd forgotten. We have you for two years, not just this year, right? Yes, I am back for next fall. Next fall. So we'll have you through next next fall. So very cool. All right. So uh, let's see. Let's do a little house cleaning before we launch into the show. Um, first of all, I wanted to give a shout out to Shelton Moss for doing the new intro video. And Shelton also did an outro video this week. So if you're watching on YouTube, the intro and outro work uh, was done by Shelton. So if you're wondering how long that stuff takes, it took him 10 hours. So uh, it would take me 10 weeks maybe, you know, but Shelton's good at that stuff. So we appreciate it, Shelton. Checks in the mail. Uh, Also wanted to remind students, if you're listening to this podcast, Tech Sideline now offers free student subscriptions. Just go to the website, register, get yourself a free student subscription. Eventually, we will follow up with finding out what your projected, projected date of graduation is and extending the subscription out to then and you know, just verifying that you are a student. Um, so uh, I do have to hire someone to do that job first. So uh, uh, so students look for that. Also wanted to publicize uh, Thursday, the night before the game. We are having a gathering at Eastern Divide Brewery in uh, here in Blacksburg. It's, it's on the south end of Blacksburg. 
Uh, if you know where Wolverine is and where some of the uh, industrial stuff is, Eastern Divide's kind of back in that area. Um, I think they know we're coming. <laughs> I told the guys <laughs> organizing it for us. Uh, did you let them know we're coming? Uh, the basic setup is if, if, if you've never been to Eastern Divide, as you face the brewery from the street, they have a large grassy area off to the right. So we'll be outside. Yeah, it'll probably be a little muddy, so maybe wear some. No, don't wear your best shoes. I, I'm I'm hoping it'll dry up by then. Uh, you know, everybody who who's been paying attention knows that there was some, not just some rain here, which is still ongoing, but uh, there was a tornado warning. There was a couple of tornadoes last night in Blacksburg. When I left PKs, I was at PKs when the warnings came through. Everybody at my table, our phones started buzzing. Yeah, like at the exact same time, we're like, "What is going on?" Turns out it was tornadoes. And when I was leaving PKs later, uh, a a tree, like half a tree, basically it was a tree with like two sides. It's two sided tree. Half the tree is basically one huge one of those split trunk. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it had fallen over on a car in the parking lot. So somebody got a nasty surprise when they got off work last night. Yeah, I I was walking through there later that night and they were towing it out of there. So I didn't see, there were two cars that got hit. One of them got the the brunt of the damage. Didn't see that one, but the other one seemed like it was, uh, it was doing a little bit better at least. This won't happen at Eastern Divide. (laughs) So, but the exciting thing about uh, what we're doing at Eastern Divide is, first of all, it's, it's very informal. Make sure you bring a folding chair, something to sit in. We'll be outside. We're just hanging out. You can walk inside and get beers and get dinner. We're not providing any food or anything like that. There, coincidentally, is no cost to this. Just show up. Um, you'll see a couple of tents, and you'll see a tech sideline banner hanging between the two tents. But the really cool thing about this is we're going to have three uh, Virginia Tech athletes there. First of all, before you ask, no, no football players. It's the night before a game. <laughs> I, I, I think that's actually one of their rules. They're going to be in Roanoke. Yeah, so. but it's it's like no athletes the day of a game or before uh, before the game. So, um, so we're gonna have uh, national champion wrestler Makai Lewis is gonna be there. Um, softball pitcher Keely Rochard is gonna be there, and I'll be honest, I had a hard time picking which basketball player I wanted to invite. It, it was funny because Chris and I talked about it, and I wanted to invite either Storm Murphy or Justin Mutz because I've seen interviews with Mutz, and he's a really interesting he's dude. Great, yep. Plus, Storm is the guy, you know, nobody really knows yet. So so I emailed somebody associated with the basketball program, and I just said, why don't you recommend a couple basketball players? And he goes, well, Storm Murphy would be great, and so would Justin Mutz. <laughs> so uh, sorry, Justin, but we settled on Storm. We're going to have Storm come visit, too. He's very excited, and, and the, the people in the basketball program say he's got a great personality. He's really, really personable. So those three athletes will be there. Again, they'll just be hanging out. They won't be talking or anything like that. Uh, no speeches. Yes, they'll be talking. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so just come out and say hi to them and, you know, uh, hang out with them. And they'll be there from 5 to 8. The event starts at 5, runs till close, in air quotes. Uh, closes 9 o'clock at Eastern Divide. But uh, the athletes are scheduled to be there from 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock. So come and, and engage with them and make it worth their while. They're excited to meet people. So that's going on at Eastern Divide Thursday, 5 o'clock. Well, that's a star-studded lineup you got there. You got Keely Rochard, one of the best pitchers in the country. Storm Murphy, again, no, nobody really knows him yet, but expected yeah. to be the starting point guard. And then obviously Makai Lewis, former national champion. So, right. uh, And me and Chris. Exactly. <laughs> so, I doubt anybody will bypass those people for us, but uh, we'll see. So a couple, if you're watching on video, a couple of uh, notes about the set. It has not progressed at all since the last podcast. 
I'm waiting on lighting to come in, which I'm pretty jacked about. I think that'll be cool. Um, and somebody in the YouTube comments noted that the the shelf that the TV on it is on, the sag bothers this person. Well, it bothers me too. There's a slight <laughs> sag. I was at PK's last night, and somebody who watched the podcast was like, that sag above your head looks kind of menacing. Nah, it <laughs> it's a, like I said last week, it's Trex decking. It's, it's not going to break or uh -huh. anything like that. But yeah, we do need to remember you're that. an electrical engineer, not a construction engineer. <laughs> I, I am in my family. I'm actually notoriously bad for mechanical stuff. So. Well, for those who can't see, it looks like there are two brackets underneath it. So at the very least, there's a little extra support trying to hold that up. So yeah, I was hoping that those those little brackets there would keep it straight, and they didn't quite do it. So we'll shore that up, so people don't need to be nervous anymore. And we did order a new video switcher, so. Um, I won't drill down into the details of that, but that will enable us to turn on the fourth camera, which we're going to have on the fourth person over there. And I also want to put a uh, put a camera up in the corner to kind of show the view of the whole room, get a little look at the, the entire set. And lastly, you will notice I'm wearing an orange grit shirt. Um, before you ask, they are not for sale. Um, this is some gear that some uh, some guys were selling last year that we promoted on the podcast. But uh, yeah, Chris and I are decked out in orange because it's an orange effect game. And, and I've even got orange uh, shoelaces on my shoes. So that's all the housekeeping. Appreciate the patience and let's get to it. Well, I missed the memo on the orange effect there, but uh, it, we did want to mention it does look like the Hokies are going to be wearing orange on Friday night. Yeah. At least that's the rumor. Will, I know you weren't too pleased about that. <laughs> Can you put the camera on me, David? <laughs> <laughs> this is my face. <laughs> that's how i feel when i see orange jerseys and orange pants so i know so so to a little bit of background tay daly tay daly yes yes pretty much uh pretty much leaked it looks like he <laughs> leaked friday's uniform on his instagram feed and it's a white helmet which we had been told they were going to be white helmets and orange jerseys and orange pants so that's that's not a combination I like. I'm 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 okay with orange, but not both of them. I'm pretty sure I'll like it if they win. <laughs> I mean, for all I care, like they can wear the Foghorn Leghorn helmets for all I care at this point. If they just win games, they look like poop from a distance. It looked like a helmet with a pile of poop on it. That was my issue with the Foghorn Leghorn helmet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that kind of brought the conversation. To <laughs> well, uh, it, it could all just be smoke and it could be a completely different uniform i for could one I, i'm a fan of it i think for an orange effect game you got to wear orange you can't wear maroon for an orange effect game well I, I like the ones they wore against unc in 2017 was it 2017 yeah. yes um so uh, i like telling this story um the, the reason i can't stand all orange is that's what they wore against uva in 1994 um i think that was the first time i remember seeing all orange top and bottom and we got stomped. I, I think Maurice DeShazer turned it over five times or something like that. And, I think it was six, but who's counting? And so Frank said, so they asked Frank about those uniforms next year, and Frank was like, oh, we burned those. <laughs> no, they did not. After the 1994 season, I think it was actually, actually after the 95 season, I wound up in the equipment room somehow with uh, Lester Carlin. And back in the back were those orange jerseys and orange pants that were hanging away in the back. So, so Frank Fibb, they did not burn those things. And I don't know what eventually happened to them. Well, we, we know North Carolina, they're wearing white helmets, white jerseys, navy blue pants. So it, it would make sense to wear orange 
I, I was hoping for maybe kind of a color rush thing with the orange jerseys on one side, Carolina blue yeah. on the other side, but it'll yeah. still be a pretty good contrast. I would say. Yes. I think yes. that, that that's actually a pretty cool uniform for them. I've seen that one and and, and I like it. And I don't I don't like many UNC uniforms. I don't like the the baby blue. Well, I think it's time we actually talk football at this point. It doesn't matter what they're wearing. They're still going to play a football game on Friday night. And most of the podcast is going to be spent on Virginia Tech and North Carolina. But before we get into that, a depth chart was finally released earlier this week. We finally get to see after spring and after fall camp kind of where everything stands. And there were a few surprises that I have written down, but I just want to talk to both of you guys. What stood out immediately when you look at that first depth chart? Oh, gosh. Uh, I guess I'll have to shorten my usual responses because we, you know, we could actually spend an hour and a half talking about the depth chart itself. Um, uh, with the, as far as the offensive line goes, I would say Caden Moore, a true freshman, being in there uh, as a starter at right guard. I think yeah, it that, says a lot. A it says a lot about him and Virginia Tech's evaluation skills of offensive linemen because Johnny Dor- Jordan uh, is a was a starter at Maryland. He was an honorable mention All Big Ten player. So the fact that Caden Moore is able to start at right guard and Jordan's listed as the backup at center, I think that says quite a bit about Caden Moore. And also, so, so uh, wait a minute, let me jump in here. So get ready to mock me. How many teams are in the Big Ten? Is it twelve or fourteen? I think it's fourteen. I think it's fourteen. Fourteen. You're yeah. honorable. You know, honorable mention in an eight-team conference. That means you're like, the fourth best player at your position. Yeah, basically. in in a fourteen-team conference. Yeah, right, so. right. So that that's a lot. Uh, uh, Vance Vice has gone with his physically strongest five players on the offensive line, the way I see it. Uh, of the other options to start besides right, the starters from left to right, Tenuta, Smith, Hoffman, Moore, and Janzi. The other candidates would be, would be like Parker Clements, who's a true freshman offensive tackle. Parker's 6'7", 292. He's not going to be as physically strong at the point of attack as a guy like Janzi. I think Clements has a great future, but for young players who – or like six seven, they have a real strong frame. Sometimes it takes them a while to to grow into that frame and and, and get really strong. Uh, you know, Johnny Jordan, I think is he's a good player. He's a uh, smart player. He's a really technically sound player, but he's not a very big guy. Uh, he, six he, six one three oh three. He, so so definitely on the short side. He doesn't have the physical strength of Caden Moore or Brock Hoffman. And Tyrell Smith, of course, was another candidate, but you know, six three, three hundred. He he's not going to go out there and dominate either, although I do think he's a pretty good athlete. So I think Vance Vice put his t- five strongest offensive linemen uh, on the field. Uh to me this looks like an offensive line that is built for run blocking. And I think it'll I think I think it'll be I mean, I, th- I know Luke Tenuta can pass block. I mean, I have complete trust in left tackle, left guard, center for pass blocking. Uh, Janzi, a little bit of a concern maybe. I mean, he did struggle some early in 2019, but he might have been hurt a little bit. Caden Moore definitely seems like a road grader. Uh, seems like uh, he his strength would be in run blocking rather than pass blocking. But that said, he's a guard and it's easier to cover up a guard's deficiencies when it comes to pass blocking than it would be an offensive tackle. Um, so I, I think that's probably the main thing that, that stood out to me as far as the depth chart goes on offense. Uh, defense, you know, they move, they've moved Nasir Peoples to boundary safety, which a.k.a. the rover position. Right. Um, um, they're – he was the backup at nickel, and now Nike Hawkins is listed as the backup at nickel. I think that's a better fit for Hawkins, although I do think if something happened to Connor, they would probably move Peoples back there if he's not the starting rover. Uh, 
Devin Hunter is listed as the starting rover. Uh, we've heard there is some concern there, and that's why they've moved Peoples to try to create competition. I would expect to see both of those guys on the field on Friday night against North Carolina. So, And as we're going to talk about, it's a critical position because, yeah, UNC doesn't have Daz Newsom anymore, but – but Phil Longo's been really good about isolating the slot against the tech nickelback. The nickelback, right. So, well, well, up the middle Connor, of the defense. Which, right. Well, yeah, the whole the whole middle of the defense yeah. is is a concern for Virginia, Virginia, You're right, for Virginia I mix, Tech against the pass. I kind of mix my You mix position. the whip and rover spot up. Yeah. That's okay. But it's a, the general point stands. We'll get to that later, though. Well, looking at the offensive line, you mentioned Johnny Jordan. You would have to assume Vance Vice doesn't typically mm-hmm. stick with the same five guys the entire game. At least that's been the last couple of years. You would assume yeah. he'll rotate in there a few I, times? I would expect uh, we'll see Parker Clements at some point. Uh, I would expect we'll see Johnny Jordan at some point for sure. Uh, and, and depth charts, you got to take them with a grain of salt. Like Jack Holyfield is listed as the starting – or excuse the me, backup. the backup right guard. <laughs> and he's – like if Caden Moore got hurt, Jack Holyfield would not be the next guy in the game. I'd be shocked if that was the case. Instead, they would either move Jancy down inside to guard and start and put in Clements at tackle, or they would maybe move Johnny Jordan to right guard, or Brock Hoffman to guard and put Jordan at center. Uh, you know, I still expect Holyfield to, to redshirt, and his long-term future is a center. But you got to take depth charts with a grain of salt in the modern world of college football. I mean, even the UNC depth chart this week has Bo Corrales on it even though UNC has said he's not playing. Right, right. So all coaches play games to a certain extent when it comes to depth charts. So I imagine one thing they'll do is throughout the game, they'll be watching the Caden Moore matchup. How, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't think I recognize any of the names on UNC's defense, except maybe one or two. Yeah, you, you recognize some guys like it at linebacker and, right. and in the secondary, but not defensive and, line. Right. right, right. Uh, that's cause I don't think it's very good. Yeah, so, um, so so I think they'll be. I actually that. feel pretty good about Caden Moore. Yeah. Uh, I, if there's, I think UNC. I think I mean they're, they're they have talent, but at the same time, the, those guys Mac Brown recruited that have been highly ranked and everything, they're still only freshmen and sophomores. I mean, you've got guys in here that Larry Fedora recruited, and generally speaking, they have been a soft defense. Uh, the numbers the, prove it out. With the exception of that 2009 defense that was obviously as time proved, it was bought and paid bought and, for. With the exception of that defense, UNC's defenses, they've always been kind of soft. Okay. Like they're a glitz and glamour school, right? So uh, I, 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 I don't worry about Caden Moore against UNC. Yeah. Um, I, I, I – I don't worry about Tech's offensive line in general uh, against UNC. I I would worry more about Tech's receivers against their against their defensive backs and things like that. That would be my bigger worry. Yeah, Tony Grimes is going into his uh, second year there, um, and he's he's actually age wise a college freshman now because you remember he yeah he, he enrolled early. Yeah, yeah. But you know he he's a big time recruit and yeah. and he has not been a disappointment so far. No, he's been good. And so yeah, and, and if Storm Murphy is healthy. Uh, Storm Murphy. Storm Duck. Storm, Storm Duck. Duck. <laughs> One of those storms. Uh, shoot, I'm about to pull the microphone off on you. I was going to do it. Um, where was I? Storm Duck. Storm Duck is not listed as a starter, you know, and he missed most of last season with an injury, and then he yeah. had another injury kind of to start uh, start this season. Uh, he's kind of listed in an or position at their cornerback spot with uh, 
oh, Kyler McMichael, who is a solid player, but not as good as, as Storm Duck. And I, I think Storm Duck played great a couple years ago against Tech in Lane Stadium. I was very impressed. But if he's not healthy, I think that's a loss for their secondary. But if he is healthy, I think Duck and Grimes are a really, really good combination at cornerback in, in the ACC. But let, let's put the brakes on that for now. We're, we're trying to keep it to Texas. We're going to get to all these and, and matchups. And I'm the one who started it, right, talking about Cade <laughs> Moore. But Storm Duck, and we'll talk about him more later, that's an all-time name in college football right now. I think that that's up there. He, he should have gone to Oregon, though, I, I would think. I, but. I, mean, I assume they offered him. You would, I know. You would hope so. Um, one thing that I noticed, the first thing I wanted to check when I saw the depth chart came out was who was starting at running back. And, of course, <laughs> you don't really get an answer. Yeah. They have nope. three starters at running back with Holston, Blackshear, and King. So is that truly going to be by committee, or do you it think – It could be on – like you said, week-to-week basis maybe, depending on who's playing well and depending on the formation they start the game with. I mean, they could start certain formations with, with Holston and Blackshear on the field together, and in that case, they both start. Right, so it kind of depends on the first play that's called and the formation they open in. Um, yeah, I don't know. Some of it's going to be matchup dependent. Some of it's going to be who's got the hot hand, who plays well on a week to week basis. Or for all I know, somebody will come out there and go off and rush for two hundred yards against UNC, and <laughs> then we don't have to worry about it anymore, do we? So, so let me ask you a question. I'm I'm a big fan of how Braxton Burmeister runs the read option. Yeah. Um, could it come down to how successful that play is and which one of these running backs is best at executing it True. with Burmeister? Yeah. And we don't really know that yet. Yeah, right? and, and, and which type of blocking scheme uh, Tech runs with that play, which type of blocking scheme each one of these backs is a fit for, and how does that mesh with the block, with which type of blocking schemes the op- this particular offensive line is good at executing. There's so many... Uh, if Brandon Patterson was on the show with us, he could explain it. But, for half an hour, yeah, right? Half, or longer than that, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's just a lot of little intricacies that come to it. But, yes, I mean, that could certainly play a role. Yeah. So, I think – so, the only other thing that uh, – I don't I don't know. But Caleb Smith being listed in front of Jaden Payute, uh, I probably shouldn't be surprised by that. No, you shouldn't. Um, you know, yeah. so I, I, well, I'll, if I'll you, let that If you – everybody raves about Payute's athleticism – which as they should, but there's two things, you know, he had a hamstring injury that limited him for part of August. But number two, Caleb Smith was on that top 10 list for speed too. Yeah. You know, just, no, he's not a bad athlete here. Yeah. He was just over, he was, he started the season a little, he came back from COVID at 235, you know, COVID did Heavy. not treat him well. Yeah. And now he's 215 and just in a better position to, to be a solid player now, I think. So the, so the other thing I noticed was, uh, and, and again, this is just me, uh, you know, we spent time last week talking about Jordan Williams and how big of a factor is he going to be. And he's listed as a co-starter with Narelle Pollard. He's not even listed as the clear-cut starter. And I, and I probably was, fell victim to, oh, he transferred from Clemson. He's going to step right into a starting spot. And that's yeah, not necessarily true. I think that's more about uh, – I think that's more about – them really liking Norrell Pollard's work ethic and team spirit. And, and I think he is, he's one of those guys on the leadership. Yeah. Committee. I was going to say he's a leadership. Right, counselor, right, right. Right. I think it's more about that than anything else. Um, I don't think he's close to beating out Jordan Williams for that starting position. That's, okay. Uh, I think there's an issue with Pollard and I've said this before, and I think he's a good football player, man. I think he's got good natural instincts, toughness, quickness, and everything like that. But 
He's 281 pounds, and that's a big improvement over the 265 pounds he played at yeah. last year. But that's still, by the modern <clears throat> standards of the game, an extremely small defensive tackle. Uh, he could have got by just fine in Virginia Tech's old scheme. 20 but, years but ago. But in basically yeah. in, in, in any other scheme these days, there's going to be certain things that he's asked to do that he's probably not going to be big enough and strong enough to do. So, so here's a throwback name, Jonathan Lewis. Isn't that basically – wasn't that basically Jonathan Lewis? No, size? Jonathan Lewis was over 300 pounds. Was he? Yes. So he, he uh, was like 6'0 or 6'1. Though, he was right? 6'1, probably yeah. 305. I mean, he was uh, he was drafted. Uh, he was actually at the time, you know, big. Was for, Kevin the one that was slightly smaller? Kevin was a little bit smaller, but he wasn't this small. Yeah. I mean, okay. Tech, Tech hasn't had a defensive ta- starting defensive tackle as small as Neural Pollard in a long, long time. Okay. Yeah, but you know, besides last year's version of Neural Pollard, which was even smaller. Um, so Pollard's going to help, and they really love what he brings to the culture table and and everything like that. But uh, like, I'm not I'm not really surprised to see Kendricks starting on the other side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah Pollard's still going to play a lot. I Fug- think Fug is. I think Fug is going to play a lot. Yeah, yeah. Too. the the two guys that I think are best suited for this scheme are probably Fuga and, and Williams. But look, we're going to see. We're, yeah, <laughs> we're going to we're going to see all four of these dudes. Yeah, on, that's on the field. So I'm not worried about like I, Jordan Williams is going to start, but I'm not worried about. I mean who else starts opposite of him. I mean, all of them are going to play. Let's just get a few games in and see how they do. And yeah, it'll be then we'll have a better idea. It'll be interesting to see the snap breakdown between yes. Uh, yes, Williams and Pollard. Yep. Yeah, I think I think all four of those guys in the middle on the two deep, I think it's going to be interesting to see how much they're used because I think all four of them should get significant snaps, but it's going to be the question of, again, it, is Williams the guy in the middle of that line that a lot of people expect him to be? Right. Um, so I think – Unless you guys have more on the depth chart, I think it may be time to get into North Carolina. Do uh, you want to go to David Cunningham quickly over behind the scenes? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, sorry, I had to pull my mic closer. Uh, we had one question. I wanted to hit on it while we're still on the depth chart. Um, somebody asked, and I think I know what Chris's answer is going to be, does the neck-and-neck competition – uh, between Nasir Peoples and Devin Hunter, say more about Peoples or Devin? And I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say. Uh, that's probably Hunter. Probably Devin. Um, yeah. I, I think Don, I think Hunter can be a good player against the run and maybe back in Virginia Tech's old eight-man front scheme days when they just attacked, 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 and that whip rover type didn't spend a lot of time in coverage. He could have been a really, really good player. But he's always had a tendency to – kind of get lost in coverage and it just doesn't sound to me like that has improved if they're moving Nasir Peoples from the wide side of the field to the short side of the field I mean wide side players are naturally going to be better in coverage coverage. than short side so if they're moving a wide side guy to the short side to create competition at Hunter's spot then to me I think that means they're worried about coverage there Um, now the thing about Peoples is you remember Peoples missed last year with a torn ACL right so uh, so like Hunter, he missed last season. Hunter for an obviously a very different reason. Your other option there would be Tay Daly, who also missed last season because he opted out in, uh, uh, at Vanderbilt due to COVID. So you got three guys who could play that spot, and neither one of them has played in a football game since 2019. Wow. Yeah. So, 
Sounds like that segues into talking about you. <laughs> it does. And first off, I appreciate having David behind the scenes, checking up on these so we can fit these in. So, and so David always, always say who asks the questions. Cause you got to give them their moment in the sun. Unless the, the person was actually named somebody. It, it, Trey, <laughs> Trey amend. He also asked, what do you expect to see from J ham? But I figured that's more of a North Carolina yeah, question that we're going to get into. Yeah. I think anyway. that that'll be in the, the North Carolina preview. But yeah. if you do have other questions, make sure you drop them in the YouTube chat and we'll get we're to here all day later on in the show. <laughs> Dave, David will be monitoring those behind the scenes. So I think the big story on Friday night is how are the, Ho- how's the Hokies defense going to stop Sam Howell? which is why I think we should save that for the second half of the show. We'll talk about that later. I think we should start with Tech's offense. This is There's a lot of excitement around this offense. Last week when we talked on the podcast, it seemed like every position group were talking about optimism and everybody having this full spring practice and fall camp and everything. And I just want to ask you, how interested are you to see how much the offense expands with Braxton Burmeister being that guy and having all these reps with everybody around him and a little bit of consistency? Uh very interested. And he goes back to what Justin Fuente said about feeling better about the passing game than at any time at Virginia Tech. Those are words. Let's let that's the talk. Let's see the walk. I'm I'm yeah. looking forward to that. You know, again, uh unless something's happened in the off season, Burmester's not a guy with a cannon for an arm. You know, but but that that's separate from knowing where to go with the football and being able to time things and get it there. So I think that's what I'm most interested in seeing. I already know, like I said, he can run the read option yeah. and he's an excellent athlete. I want to see how he works the passing game. Well, and it, and it felt like last year that a lot of times he was kind of thrown in, in some tough situations. I mean, you look at Clemson, no one thought he was going to start that game. I don't think, I, I think everybody thought it was going well, to be technically he didn't start it. He did, okay, and he started it. He, he took what one snap or two snaps or something like that. Uh, and then, it was the, the first drive, and, first, and then he sort of forgot the entire game plan of letting the clock wind down to shorten the clock, and then they took him out. Wait a minute, I thought that was Hendon Hooker. That's what we're talking about. Okay, yeah, that, that's why like Hooker started. That's why Burmeister came in. Yes, it, it, like it's easy to like look back and th- and think, oh yeah, Burmeister started the game. No, he actually didn't. Hooker that... just got benched after the first drive <laughs> yes. because he forgot the entire basis of the game. I play. remember that. I remember Fuente yeah. holding his tongue afterwards saying, well, you know, we, we told him this and this and he didn't do it. <laughs> so similarly, it's, that's the situation I'm kind of trying to talk about is Braxton Burmeister. It seemed like he was never really given the reins to the offense and said, go. And I think this year now, they know he's the guy. The playbook should open up a lot. And he's worked with all these guys, the chemistry. I feel like he had success even in those situations. He looked pretty good against Clemson, against NC State, um, against Boston College, I believe. He Virginia. was the start, start in that game, Virginia. So uh, I think that could be a huge factor with him having more options, especially in the running game, like you said. Yeah, if you, if you look at his passer rating, his passer rating was a 129, which is not great. You know, we'll get into that later. Sam Howell, I think, has, has got a career passer rating of around 170 or so. So significantly better um so i think he can make some improvements there um and i said it on the podcast before uh everything looks good but this will be his first year really like you said really starting and being the guy and uh i think if he chooses to stay another year i think we'll get his best football next year yeah but in the era of the transfer portal and all that stuff it's just well you just it's hard to imagine guys who 
not named Tyrell Smith saying, you know what? I think I'd like to stick and stay in college for a sixth year. And so I watched, I watched the Nebraska game and Martinez for Nebraska, I believe they said is in his fourth year starting at quarterback yeah. for Nebraska. And you just don't see that kind of stuff anymore. It's rare. Yeah. It might have been you who said it. He's the Hunter Renfro of, of the Big Ten. I saw somebody said that. Somebody did. It may have been David it on Twitter. The Hunter yeah. Renfro of the Big Ten, except except he doesn't win very many football games. <laughs> right. He yeah. doesn't win he national championships. <laughs> I, I was the one who answered Kenny Pickett 10 Kenny, years ago. Okay, County. that's where I saw you on there. Yeah, <laughs> Kenny Pickett's still sticking around as well. Yeah. Uh, something, Chris, you mentioned during the depth chart talk is you were a little concerned about the Hokies' offensive weapons against North Carolina's secondary. We already kind of touched on Tony Grimes and Storm Duck, but I think on the Hokies' side of the ball on offense, I think that is the key matchup there is who can win between Trey Turner, Tavion Robinson, and those two corners on the outside. Yeah, I think that's that's big. And and is it going to be Storm Duck at corner, or is it going to be Kyler McMichael or, or somewhere else? And if it is Storm Duck, how healthy is he and how how into rhythm is he because he did miss almost all of last season and then a decent chunk of the preseason early on with an injury um so yeah it's and justin fuente talked on on monday about how last year you know carolina's corners were very physical with tex receivers at the line of scrimmage and tex receivers basically just they just got their butts didn't handle it right so it's going to be extremely important for Trey Turner to play physical this game and Tavion Robinson and, and Payute and Smith to play physical. I, I don't know we'll, if we'll see as much of like, I don't know, Jalen Jones in this game because he, he would be an outside receiver and to throw a young true freshman who's never played in a college game before right into a game with a, against a pair of really, really physical corners, you know, maybe you don't you don't do that very much in his very first game maybe you slow you you bring him along a little slowly it shouldn't matter as much for Dwayne Lofton you know if he's going to spend all of his time in the slot which I assume he will although I, I don't know it for a fact um I do like some matchups back here like like we talked about like this still being in a lot of ways uh Larry Fedora's team and, and you just look at their free safety Trey Morrison He's 5'9", 190 pounds, and he's a senior. So uh, you just don't see 5'9". You don't see safeties that small these days in college football. So there could be a matchup issue there for North Carolina uh, that that favors Virginia Tech. Uh, I would scheme James Mitchell down the middle. Right, right. Uh, it's, I mean, gosh, it's not like the Hokies didn't have any success moving the football in Carolina last year. Yeah. Right? I mean, they, they had plenty of success. Um so I, I mean, I still think this is a team that is is very very beatable. Um, I, I don't think they're going to go out there and light the world on fire defensively. You can't look at total like those archaic total offense and defensive stats that I don't even think people should use at all anymore um, because they don't reflect. Like there's so many different things in the game. Like total offense, total defense, they don't take into account the fact that. You know, if you have a great offense that controls the clock and you don't just run that, you don't, there's just not that many plays run in your game, then yeah, you're not going to give up as many yards. But then if you look at the advanced stats, Carolina's defense was like, in most advanced stats, like between 85th and 115th in defense last year, whereas the total defense stats said they were 58th. Right. Yeah, and that, that's the old thing about, you know, part of the reason – Bud Foster was a great defensive coordinator, but part of the reason he had such a great career was 
he coached for a coach who totally believed in controlling the football. Right, and right. And not putting his, leaving his defense out there. Correct. That's not UNC's philosophy. They're just really good on offense. Yeah. Uh, and they had the personnel to do it last year. I mean, yeah. My God, they had two first, not two first round, but two draft picks at running back. Yeah. I mean, do you know how hard it is to make the NFL? Like, like Cam Phillips is Virginia Tech's all-time leading receiver, and outside of a game or two here and there, he did not make the NFL. Yeah. Uh, Isaiah Ford has been a fringe NFL player and just got cut yes, yesterday during final cutdown. So it's hard to make the NFL. You can be a really, really good college player and not make the NFL. So the fact that UNC had all those NFL guys last year says something about their talent level at those four spots. And when you have guys like that, you know, it's – and it's easy to it's a lot easier to control the clock and things like that and protect your defense when you've got a couple of uh, NFL running backs like yep. that. Well, Javante Williams and Michael Carter were both top five in running backs setting in the last year's draft. That's that's not easy to do. And we'll we'll get into how UNC is going to try and replace those guys. Also had two wide receivers get selected in this year's NFL draft. Uh, looking back at last year's game, Tech lost, but still put up 45 points on this North Carolina defense that lost most notably probably their best defensive player over the last two years in Chaz Surratt. He was a two-time All-ACC selection, third-round pick. Um, so the Hokies were able to run the ball pretty effectively in that game despite, and I, correct me if I'm wrong here, Hennon Hooker came in in the middle of that game after Braxton Burmeister started Uh-oh. it. <laughs> That's me this time. and I We're two for two. I believe that was my turn next week. who was calling me. So there they we should go. know we're doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um Anyway, getting back to it, the Tech had plenty of success on the ground. That was one of Khalil Herbert's better days. I want to say he ran for over 200 yards in that game. Oh, my God. The three running backs that were on display in that game. If, Unbelievable. If, oh, yeah. If you, if you enjoy watching running backs play, that was the, probably the game to watch in college football last year. So you said the, the Hokies offensive line is kind of set up for run blocking right now. Do you think that could be the MO on Friday night against a front seven for UNC that's maybe lacking a little bit of the star power they had no, last year? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I definitely think Tech's going to try to establish a running game. I actually do think UNC will be better against the run last year or this year than they were last year. I mean, for all the hype Chess Surratt got, like he was the lowest grading player on UNC's defense last year, especially and against the run. Like he's actually one of the worst run defensive players I've ever seen. I mean, <laughs> no, he was, in my opinion, like not he's not an inside linebacker and they were playing him on the inside. Now, he was an elite pass rusher and things like that, and he's a great athlete, and he deserved to be drafted, you know, in the, in the third round or whatever based on that. And I hope whoever drafted him doesn't use him like UNC used him. But, like, I actually think their run defense, pure run defense up the middle will be better without him. Okay. So that's that's a little bit of a concern. I, re- I think Eugene Asante, who takes his place, is he's a little bit undersized, but I think he's a really good player. David? Yeah, well, it's interesting because Tech ran, uh, like, Herbert only had 140 yards last year. You said close yeah. to 200. Yeah, he only had 140 yards. Tech, like Tech ran for 270, North so, Carolina. So what, what, who else? Hooker, I guess, had a big day. And Burmeister ran for 51. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blackshear had uh, 33, and then Hooker had 29. Okay. So, and, and in terms of passing – uh, Hooker had 136 passing yards. Burmeister had 79. So it was kind of 
even there. But yeah, if Chris is saying that North Carolina's rushing defense is going to be better, you know, Tech only ran for 270 yards, and that does count kind of sound like a lot. But <laughs> but when you take away Khalil Herbert too, right, right, you know, right. so it's it's going to be interesting. So let let's back off one more level and just let's, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at UNC's schedule from last year. And and I and I wonder how much we should look at things from last year because Not I don't I don't much. I don't follow other teams and I don't yeah. remember how many players they were missing, you know. But they they gave up 353 points in 12 games, which is almost 30 points yeah. a game. And they only gave up six to Syracuse and they only gave up nine to Western Carolina, so that's 338 points in their other 10 games. And they had some pretty hideous outings. They gave up 45 to Tech. They gave up 44 to Virginia, 53 to Wake. So did this oh, defense? The, the stat of the week is they never punted against UVA last year. Their offense was so dominant, <laughs> and, and they, they still lost, lost the game, 44 to 41. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, there were a lot of games like that. You, I don't know how many points they gave up against Miami, but it just seemed like the offense was just so good. It didn't matter. The defense could have given up 50 points in some of these games and they still would have found a way to win. Right. So, so, but it gets back to what Chris said about historically, this is, this is a soft defense and, and oh, by the way, about their punter, we had, we had a, an amusing conversation in the office. <laughs> yes. Chris is like, can you look at this? And I look at it and he's looking at the, the uh, profile for their punter that's on UNC's site. And it says started twelve games and appeared in ten. No, it said he said he was UNC's st- starting punter for twelve games, and appeared in ten. His services were not required for, for two, two games. games. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what were you never? Well, Mark, what does about? that even mean? So I look it up and uh, and I was like, oh, they didn't whoa. punt. <laughs> well, and, that, and it's funny to say that because you would assume th- both those games they would have won, but no, they were one and one in they those were games. One and so, one, yeah. yeah, so. So that could be the story of the game on Friday night. Is this going to be a barn burner going back and forth if Sam Howell has his stuff going on the other side like they know that like he did most games last season and the Hokies have the offense that a lot of people are expecting against, again, a soft defense on the other side. Uh, and remember, Virginia Tech generally starts out pretty well on offense. They're, they're ready to go in that first game. It's, it's not going to be 56 to 45 like it was last year or whatever it was. Uh, for the simple fact that, all right, I mean, Tech was starting a walk-on at free safety yeah. last year. A walk-on who isn't even in the three deep this year, <clears throat> near as I can tell. That's how depleted Tech's secondary was last year. Uh, uh, they, they're going to be better there this year, and now they actually know the scheme, unlike last year. They had a full offseason in a weight room. They actually had weights this offseason. That helps. Uh, so, like, and as far as UNC goes, I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, far be it for me to give too much credit to UNC, but Virginia Tech lit them up last year, but UNC, they did not have Storm Duck in that game. He had gotten hurt the week before and was out. Yeah. And at that point, uh, Tony Grimes had not made his way into their starting lineup as a corner, and we started to see him play really good football, you know, mid-November. Towards all. the end of last year. Right, yeah. so I think their cornerback situation is going to be greatly improved this year as opposed to what it was against Virginia Tech and last you, year. And you think with Surratt out of the mix that the linebackers will defend the run better for them I as think well. their, their base run defense up at that one linebacker position will be better. Will get a lot better. Yes. Okay. If it doesn't, 
then there might be something wrong with their scheme if they ha if they happen to have two linebackers at the same position twice in a row that were terrible against the run. Right. But I mean, like Surratt is not good against the. So many of Christian Darisol's highlight package leading up to the draft were him just destroying well, that Surratt. Was, that was the one where he was pushing Surratt downfield, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. God. Yeah, yeah that just, was. It's just he's just not good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, he's on the Minnesota Vikings now, he so is. that is their problem. Maybe they'll find a way to uh, to use him. So he he made it. Like he made. Well, the he, was he was a third round pick. pick. Yeah, automatically top seventy five yeah. pick in the draft. Yeah. So hopefully they use him on the outside. We'll see. For him, hopefully, or yeah. for him, I don't care. Well, I'm a Packers <laughs> fan. I hope they put him right in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, looking down at the defensive line, I wanted to look at their nose tackle, Ray Vohasic. I think he's one of the better players up the middle for North Carolina. Something I immediately thought of with this matchup was last year's NC State game. Aleem McNeil was in the middle of oh, that yeah. Wolfpack lineup, and Brock Hoffman pretty much took him out of the game. Him, yeah. He was not a factor in that game. I think that may be what Brock Hoffman is being told this week in practice. It's your job to make him not be a factor. And uh, Brock Hoffman, you know, I mean, Brock is from North Carolina, you know, yeah. so he'll know some of these guys on, on the other side of the ball. And that, that was when we we knew Virginia Tech had something on the offensive line was after that game. <laughs> With how physical that was. Tech were. ran for 300 yards in that game, I want to yeah. say. Yeah. yeah. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, it was a I, lot. I think it was the first two games were 300, and then it was 270 in that North Carolina yeah, only game. 270, so. Only 270. Only <laughs> 270. We're not going to let David forget that. <laughs> um, 314. 314 against yeah. it. That, that was Khalil Herbert's coming out party, I believe. I Yeah, he, yeah like six carries. He, yeah, he didn't have many carries, but yeah. he ran for over 100 yards, and I think he took a screen pass to the house as yeah, well in that game. Right. So, wow. so, yeah, I think I – mean, that this game's is right up Brock Hoffman's alley, in my opinion, and Lasita Smith's for that matter, and even Caden Moore's. Uh, See, now I'm getting excited. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, like I just uh, I've never viewed UNC again outside of that 2009 team that you know. Is, that was a very physical football team. Yeah, it was also. I mean, never mind. I don't want to get into that again. But we uh, don't need to relive that. But generally speaking, they've been always been just not. They've been soft defensively. They haven't had any brutes on that side of the ball you know so to me if, if i'm text three interior or any attack offensive lineman really but especially those three interior guys who i think are really really like physically strong players and tough players then this is an ideal matchup for them this is a game they should be looking forward to yeah and i think that's kind of been the theme is that tech's offense maybe has the advantage over north carolina's defense we're going to talk about sam howell and that north carolina tar heels offense which could be the story of the game is whether the Hokies can at the very least contain them i believe that is a good time to take our break here on episode 187 of the tech sideline podcast we're getting set for virginia tech and north carolina in lane stadium on friday night we've talked about the Hokies offense and the tar heels defense we will talk about the other side sam howell against jay ham's defense when we come back here on episode 187 of the tech sideline podcast
We welcome you back to episode 187 of the Tech Sideline podcast, brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. We're getting you set for the kickoff of the 2021 Virginia Tech football season, Friday evening in Lane Stadium. Hokies taking on top 10 North Carolina, trying to pull off a big win in front of a packed home crowd on Friday night to start off their season. I'm Jake Lyman. We've got founder and general manager Will Stewart still with us, lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman, and behind the scenes, David Cunningham, our managing editor and producer today. He is monitoring the YouTube chat, so if you are watching live on YouTube, make sure you drop a question for Will or Chris, and we will get to those at the end of the episode. So we went through the Hokies offense matchup with the Tar Heels defense. Now, what I believe is the important part of this game is how the Hokies defense will approach and try and contain Sam Howell. I want to go through some stats here. Sam Howell in two games against Virginia Tech has thrown for over 600 yards, eight touchdowns, no interceptions. Five of those touchdowns came in front of a packed lane stadium uh, as a true freshman in that six overtime game. So just in general, how important is it for the Hokies to just, you're not going to stop him, at least try and keep him in check enough to give your offense a chance on the other side? You know, there's two things I'm really looking for. Number one, the, the, Deep middle, how do the safeties and the how do the uh, how do the safeties and the whips play? Um, because they're they they've either Shamari Connor has always struggled against UVNC. Whether that's a situation where they know how to attack him, or if it was just a Daz Newsom um, bad matchup, I don't know. But then you've got Keonta Jenkins, who's a true freshman and not very experienced, and then you've got the Devin Hunter situation at at Rover, and even Dax at Mike probably would not be the best coverage Mike on the planet uh so UNC is going to attack the inside and that's a lot of their offense anyway is they like to attack deep down the middle of the field on crossing patterns and post patterns and things like that and it's kind of a double-edged sword and that's why their offense sometimes can be kind of hit or miss uh they give, give up a lot of sacks um part of that is because I don't think their offensive line is just very good at po- pass blocking but also it's because, you know, those deep crossing routes and things like that, it takes time for those routes to develop, so you've got to hold your block longer. Uh, so the, if Virginia Tech can generate some pressure on him and just take some of the pressure off Virginia Tech's safeties deep down the field when, when they're in, in stressful situations, I, I think that could help. And, and how much is Justin Hamilton going to blitz when is he going to blitz? Where's the blitz going to come from? Uh, I, th- I think that's that's key. I don't think you can be passive against Sam Howell, but I, I don't think you can sit there and uh, you know send seven guys a, a, against him every play either. But to me, it, it, all those receivers are new, and some of them have been hurt during the preseason too. And Bo Corrales, their most experienced receiver, is not going to play. So there's just not a lot of experience there of those guys playing together in the game. So how, how quickly or, or is how on those receivers going to be able to be on the same page and recognize blitzes and where to go with the hot reads and things like that. And, and, you know, some of their wide receivers that they're going to be playing in this game are, are true sophomores who have never played in front of a crowd before or, or, or not really played in front yeah. of a crowd. So, sometimes young players yeah. lose their minds in front of a big right. loud crowd. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't call it being intimidated. They just get amped up, you know, and, and I, I go all the way back to that 2010 Boise State oh, game. Oh, do we have to talk about it again? You know, where, where RFK was so full and and was 
and and it was called RFK back then. FedEx Field. It was FedEx Field yep. back then. It was so full, and they were all tech fans, but the tech players lost their minds because a lot of them hadn't hadn't been in front of a crowd that big. So everybody talks about Sam Howell passing the ball. And first of all, getting sacked that much and putting up the kind of stats he put up is is pretty impressive. And I've always said that he's underrated as a scrambler and a runner. If you look at his numbers, they're not great. If you just look at his rushing numbers, they're not great. But he's just he's a good athlete. He's underrated as an athlete. He breaks the pocket, keeps his eyes downfield. He can really sling it on the run. So it's not just what can he do in the pocket. And Chris, didn't you put in your preview that he went deep sixty times last year and completed something like twenty eight of them? That's yeah, right? yeah. It was it was twenty eight of sixty on on. Passes that's 20, a high that's percentage. A really high yeah. percentage. Well, yeah. for all, well, the touchdown percentage was particularly high. Eleven touchdowns on the on those twenty-eight completions. Wow. So, right. uh, like I said, they're they're kind of boom or bust on those plays. Plenty of sacks, but lots of completions down the field. And they would, I mean, which I mean, that stresses safeties, man. That puts a lot of stress on safeties on making the right decisions on, on where to, when to break on the ball and, and making the right decisions on coverage and passing off coverages and things like that. So. Uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to uh, once things, once the smoke clears, when Brandon Patterson has a chance to look at the film. I'll be interested to see Justin Hamilton's X's and O's strategy for this one. I also think one of the things that's, that that has happened to the Tech defense, starting in about 2018, is that they get themselves in situations. So it goes back to to Bud's tenure, where things snowball. And it just gets worse. Like that 2018 pit game just got out of control early. And there have been other examples since then, the Duke game, another pit game. You know, let, let's not list them all. I, I, w- I would like to see the Virginia Tech defense, if, if a few things go against them, keep their composure, keep plugging away, and, and be, I know the way this sounds, be tougher mentally than they have been in recent years. That's one of the well, things I want to see. Well, remember they did that in that 2019 game against UNC. Yeah. They got down 10 nothing. Yes, and, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yep. Because so, I remember watching that. I, I was at a wedding in South Carolina, so I was watching on TV, and it looked really bad there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I think they got a stop, and Trey Turner scored, yeah, and it was yeah, on. Yeah, right. So you're right. There are examples of that. Yeah, I believe it was Daz Newsom caught a wide-open touchdown pass to make it 10 nothing, and that was when things started to look bad. But it, that – that game is an example of coming back from that stuff, and I think that may be important if Sam Howell does get off to a hot start on Friday night. And the thing about that game is it was in Lane Stadium. It so. was. It was. Uh, something I think we've been kind of hinting at here, looking at this entire North Carolina depth chart and roster, is that this is – I don't believe this is a top 10 roster in the country. I think it's Sam Howell – being maybe the top quarterback in the country who has raised the- now you're winding and- me up it's not just sam howell okay it's the way they've been recruiting and it's the fact that mac brown is buddies with a lot of people in the media yeah <laughs> yeah i i agree with you as i made up the roster card and as i looked at how much they'd lost i'm like you phrased it perfectly this isn't the way i phrased it in my head but you phrased it perfectly this doesn't look like a top 10 roster with the exception of how I, I would agree with that uh how is a first round pick and they've had some high a couple of high recruiting classes uh in a row but those guys are all freshmen and sophomores so yeah. I, I, and just because you're a four-star recruit you know doesn't mean you're going to replace an nfl player i mean who have we been talking about here like devin hunter Right, Devin yeah. Hunter was a top fifty recruit in the country, yeah. and we're talking about how he's going to struggle to replace Divine Diablo, yeah. who's an NFL player. Yeah. Right. So, 
just because you're a four-star recruit or whatever doesn't mean you're going to step right in there and do a good job. And I, I, so it's it's difficult for me to imagine these guys, especially in their first game, being as good as Daz Newsom or Diami Brown or Javante Williams or yeah. Michael Carter. Or Michael Carter. Yeah. yeah, sorry, I jumped in well, and interrupted. And they, this is a team in Mac Brown's two-year tenure since returning to coaching. They're 15-10 and 10 and just lost, again, four their top four skill players to the NFL draft, all of which I believe were in the first five rounds. Daz may have been a sixth-round pick. That team went eight and four. It's that not team like went, they went ten and two. And went seven and six the year before. So they have two top 15 recruiting classes, but it's really it, – it's Sam Howell. You have a Heisman contender, possibly the number one overall pick in next year's draft. I think outside of that, this team is maybe uh, mid-20s. You know, the thing is, like – the, the the most of the elite talent with the except there's a with a, there are a few Sam Howells here and there obviously but most of the elite talent gets concentrated at those five or six schools these days so once you get outside that top five or six it's tough to come up with who should be ranked seventh eighth ninth all the way back to twenty fifth I mean you could make an argument for all those teams basically I mean. If, I don't think Carolina is the ninth best team in the country, but I don't know that they're not. But I don't know that the ninth best team in the country in 2021 is as good as the ninth best team in the country in 2005 because the talent isn't as evenly distributed across college football now as it was back then. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And so then you start to fall back on who's got the best quarterback. That's a huge thing in college football, and UNC's got one of the best ones. So so maybe that's the justification for having them be a, a right. fringe top 10 team. Well, and you mentioned trying to replace these NFL guys, and I will talk about the wide receivers because it looks a little thinner there. But at running back, they do have a guy coming in with some experience from Tennessee. Ty Chandler, former four-star recruit. He's played four years with the Volunteers. He had 800 scrimmage yards in 2018. So this is a guy with some experience at a Power 5 program. He could come in and maybe not pick up what Javante Williams and Michael Carter left behind, but at the very least try and mitigate it. He's a solid player, and he's shown the ability to be a solid runner, a solid receiver, and he can also return kicks. Um, So he can do a lot of the things. He can pretty much do all of the things that Michael Carter and Javante Williams could do. He just can't do them quite as well. So, if, they, if he was on Tech, if he had transferred into Tech, we'd be excited. We'd be about excited him. He's a good about him. Yeah, yeah. And UNC should be excited about him. But it's going to be well. First of all, he can't. He cannot replace the production of those two guys. I mean, there's two of them, right? But he's not. He's not quite at their level from a talent standpoint either. Yeah. Well, Williams and Carter, they ran for 383 combined yards last year against the Hokies. I don't think Ty Chandler is going to run for 300 yards against that, the That Hokies. wasn't their best performance. I was going to say that wasn't Miami, even they actually, ran for 400. Yeah. God, yeah. what? Miami. <laughs> you just don't know when they're who's, what Miami team is going to show up I anyway. Know. <laughs> well, I think that might have surprised some people. You look at the NFL draft boards last year, and it was one, two, three, Najee Harris, <laughs> Travis Etienne, and somebody else was in there. But then it was the two Carolina running backs in there. Yeah. How did they have two top five NFL players? But they looked like it that day uh, in Chapel Hill. And, and Khalil Herbert made the Bears, right? Oh, he yeah. did. He Absolutely. made the roster. I think yeah. he'll be their kickoff returner, right? And probably their number two or three back. Too. Yeah. They uh, He got a picture. The, the Titans played the Bears last Saturday, and Caleb Farley, Khalil Herbert, and Brian Johnson and Brian all got Johnson. a picture throwing up the VTs after yeah. the game. Oh, so. yeah, Brian Johnson is the Bears kicker, he I is. guess, right? Yeah. yeah. So it, I just 
I'm just not surprised that, that Herbert made the NFL. I, you guys know I don't follow the NFL closely and know a whole lot about it, but I watched one preseason game and I thought, okay, there he is against NFL competition, and he looks like an NFL running back to me. So I, I'm, I'm happy to say this is way off topic. But <laughs> you remember earlier in his career when Brian Johnson – he made all his short field goals, but yeah, he just, couldn't, he make, could, the couldn't make the long ones. And then that all changed in 2019 in that game at Notre Dame when it was so cold and windy. And then he drilled that one from out there at like 45 or 50 yards yeah. or maybe longer than that. And I'm like, whoa, he actually made that in these cold and windy conditions. Yeah. And then he just kept making them and kept making yeah. them. So to me, like if I'm the Bears, you know, obviously they saw him in person this preseason, but you watch that game, and I'm like, okay, yeah, South Bend weather, Chicago weather, they're two hours apart. It makes sense. Um, so I've been, he's he's been a really impressive, or he was a really impressive kicker for Tech ever since that Notre Dame game. Yeah, so some scout somewhere took a note. Oh, I just saw a kid <laughs> make a 50-yard field goal in freezing weather at Notre Dame. Yeah. Well, it, it shows you how volatile kicking can be in the NFL, and again, this is completely off topic. Joey Sly looked like an NFL kicker the last couple of years, and he just got released by the Panthers. So there's only 30 jobs exactly in the entire. Think of 30 kicking jobs in the entire 32, world. 32, right? 32, 32, right. 32. Yeah. So it's just so, well. So the the whole to continue the tangent. Um, <laughs> so you know Shane Graham is romanticized for the kick against WVU, but if you go back and look at his Virginia Tech career percentage. I think it was only 72% or something like yeah, that's that. Right. And so kind of kind of looking at it from that standpoint, you don't expect the guy to perhaps have a long NFL career, but he got to the NFL and his percentage went way up. Yeah. And the hash, he, he the just, hash marks are narrower, you know. Maybe that was NFL, it. That's you part know? of it. And he just kept going and kept going and eventually played for 13 or 17 teams or some ridiculous And that, that's another reason it's hard to break into the NFL as a kicker. I mean, if you're really good and you get a job, you're going to keep it for like 20 years in the NFL. Well, and guys, I I think NFL teams are more likely to, to just, just try guys who have already kicked in the NFL. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Because it, it's hard to break in because it's just, it is a rotation. If somebody gets cut, like uh, Steven Goskowski got cut from the Patriots after 15 years and immediately got a job last year somewhere else. So yeah. uh, it, that's how it goes. Anyway, for the kicking fans watching or listening to the podcast, <laughs> there, there's a little tangent on that. Uh, but I think looking at North Carolina's offense, the one cause for hope for Virginia Tech fans in this game has been looking at the wide receiver position and seeing no Deami Brown, no Daz Newsome, Bo Corrales isn't going to play. I looked today at the stats. The top three receivers on the two deep for North Carolina have 42 combined career receptions, 42. And for some reference here, Last year, just in last year's season alone, 11 games, Raheem Blackshear, Khalil Herbert, and Nick Gallo combined for 39 receptions. So it's a very inexperienced group, again, coming into a hostile environment. Sam Howell is going to have to get some chemistry with these guys very quickly. Very quickly. And, and you know, a guy like uh, Brown, I'm not sure how you pronounce his, uh, Caffrey Brown. I believe it's Chaffray. Chaffray Brown. You know, I thought he was probably maybe UNC's most talented receiver or talent, most talented outside receiver on the roster, but he's missed so much time in the preseason and with an injury, and it doesn't even doesn't sound like he's going to be starting in, in this game. Uh, you know, I know they're really high on Josh Downs, but can you really expect him to be as good as Daz Newsom was in his – not his first – it's not going to be his first college game, but it's going to be his first college start – think he caught seven passes last year yep. or something like that um it's it's just it's a big ask to expect all those guys the the passing game as a whole like how plus the new receivers combined together it's going to be hard to ask them to operate at peak efficiency first game 
when there's so many new guys and a number of those guys miss time in the preseason with injuries when you're trying to, to develop that chemistry and, and things like that. So now that said, you know, how a first round pick sometimes is, is the great equalizer. And I, I think it's important for Virginia Tech to get some pressure and disrupt the timing and make them make those key side adjustments that they're not used to making together in games. Yeah. David. Yeah, I want to hit on that pressure point um, because that, I think, is going to be the big key defensively for Virginia Tech. The Hokies had one sack last year. That was Amari Barno. The Hokies had two quarterback hurries. Wow. So that's that, That's a bigger stat than the number of sacks. Yeah. And, just, and, just two hurries. And, and for comparison, North Carolina had seven quarterback hurries last year, and they only had one sack. But, but just – comparison you know tech has to get pressure on sam howell or else if he has all day to throw then it'll make it easier to find those young receivers that have never played before yeah it makes everybody's job easier um it's just when you can have uninterrupted footwork as a quarterback if you're a real technically sound quarterback like howell and you're just doing the same thing every play with your footwork and you're allowed to do that you're going to get into a great rhythm and you know footwork rhythm means you're probably going to have great accuracy rhythm you know so i think i think it's important to disrupt their timing and their rhythm from that standpoint you don't have to sack him six times just disrupt things make him change up his footwork a little bit and and that could throw the whole thing out of out of balance and 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 how many guys are part of that disruption like if you flush him from the pocket and he's able to roll out unmolested that's different than having somebody actively chasing him or having a second guy there to, to catch him when he gets flushed. So yeah, and this is all stuff to, to look at. What's interesting to me is, uh, you remember, Amari Barno played right defensive end for Virginia Tech last year. And I could, uh, most people would expect him to stay there this year. He's actually listed at left defensive end, right? Or, assuming you did the roster card correctly. I, I did, and, and I, when I, I look at the other team's depth chart and I see how they designate their players, and David verifies, yes, that's okay. how they designate. So uh, it's interesting that they're moving him to the left side, and I don't know if this will just be for UNC or for the whole season, but he's going to be going up against the right tackle for UNC, Jordan Tucker, 6'6", 340. So by putting Barno on the left side – Theoretically speaking, on a week-to-week basis, he will be going up against the opposing team's weakest pass-blocking offensive yeah, tackle. Yes. Will generally, be the right tackle. Is so. Howell a righty or a lefty? He's a righty. He's a right-handed okay. quarterback. Yeah. So, so he'll be facing Barno correct. when Barno comes in. Yes. Right, right. And I'm I'm not worried about. I just I just want somebody to get there and make him think. I don't care whether Howell. I prefer him not to see it coming. <laughs> but uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you, you just, I just want that 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 balance to be disrupted, David. And you know what's interesting? The two guys that had uh, had quarterback hurries last year. Hold on to your pants here. Josh Fuga, one, really? and Emmanuel Belmar, two. And Belmar's no longer playing. Right. So the only guy on the current roster, yeah, as Will, Will does the, the Fuga thing, the only guy on the current roster that had a pass rush against Sam Howell last year was Josh Fuga. And I think that's crucial. We were talking about those four guys in the interior with Williams, Pollard, Kendricks, and Fuga. I think collapsing the pocket from the interior could be huge if you don't allow Howell to step up in the pocket and make those throws over the middle of the field because you said that's going to be yes. where he's going to try and that, 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 That's where the deep balls over the middle come from is when a guy has step a clean pocket and he steps up. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. harder for him to make those throws over the middle 
uh, when he's rolling out. And, and any quarterback will tell you that pressure from from the tackles is worse than from the ends. Oh, yes. yeah. yeah. And plus, pressure from the tackles gives you the chance to flush to the ends. So you were mentioning Jamari Connor kind of got picked on last year. Kind of got. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be. I don't want to be negative here. I'll let you. I'll leave that to you. Jamari uh, Connor had a had a tough time against North Carolina. How do the Hokies kind of plan for that, knowing that he's probably going to get thrown out a lot and try and give him some help out there? Even the best football players always have a few moments in their career that they'd like to forget. And for Connor, who was a really, who was a very good player in my opinion. His two games have been against Carolina both times. Two years ago, they were 9 of 10 against him passing for over 100 yards and three touchdowns. And so I, I just looked it up. So let me let me read it. I know you probably know this stuff off the top of your head, but in 2019, uh, let's see, he allowed nine receptions on 10 targets, mm-hmm. 145 yards, three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. In 2020, there were um, four targets, four receptions allowed, uh, 54 yards and a 20% missed tackle rate. Now, 2020, he got he got ejected for targeting, right? In the first quarter. So, so, that, so in the first quarter, they 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 completed four, four passes. Four passes, right? So that totals 13 receptions on 14 targets for 199 yards and three touchdowns, right? And and I don't I don't know if if UNC has just found something on him on film and they've identified a weakness that they can exploit schematically, or if that was simply Daz Newsom was a bad matchup for him. That's true. Daz Newsom's gone now, but I you, think Daz got cut, right? I don't he think did. That's he very did. surprising. He got cut on the final yeah. day. Uh, Chamari didn't even play. He play, He got ejected before the four-minute mark in the first quarter. Like four He didn't even play. He didn't even play 11 minutes. Yeah. Oof. And he, All right, let's stop gave beating up. on Chamari. Yeah. yeah, right, right. But, but, but just – and I, I, what if he comes out and struggles again like that? Um, do you have a backup plan? Do you do you do you put Nasir Peoples there? But what if you need Nasir Peoples at, at Rover? So I don't know what the plan is there. Uh, I, I don't know what the plan is from an X and o, X's and O's coverage scheme. I, I mean, UNC's got good offensive coaches. Look, so, they're so they're going to find ways to isolate him to a certain extent. Yeah. It looks like Josh Downs is the guy to watch then. Right? Yes, 5, absolutely. 10, 180, he'll be their slot yeah. guy. He's number 11. And he's they they feel very, very good about his talent level. Is he going to be as good as Daz Newsom right off the bat? I, I would really hate to get that guy's career off to a really good start. I mean, I mean, I know it's not his first time playing. But, but well, it pretty much is. And, it's his first time yeah. starting. You have to feel good that Jamari Connor. He's very experienced. You're playing at home with a packed house. Josh Downs, again, seven catches in his career. I don't think he's ever seen an environment like Lane Stadium. We hope it's going to be uh, the Terror Dome again on Friday night. So you would think that gives him a little bit of an advantage going in. I would have a backup plan there. Um, And it might involve one of my cornerbacks. Uh, Virginia Tech has solid cornerback depth. Um, I I would consider, like, if, if, if Connor comes in and struggles then I, I would be extremely tempted to put my best cover guy who could also who's also a decent tackler there, which in my opinion would probably be uh, Armani Chapman. Okay. Um, <clears throat> or, you know, you could move Jermaine Waller there and put Chapman on the outside, however you want to do it. But uh, I, it w- it'll be interesting to see if Hamilton does have a, a unique backup plan there that like Connor plays, I call it, when Connor plays there, I call it the whip slash nickel because he's not really a nickel back. Uh, 
because he's not like a true corner or, or anything like that. So he's he's a unique guy, but he does he can struggle against like smaller, quicker slot receivers, and and that's what Daz Newsom was. And they did put Waller in the nickel at times last year. I want to say when he was healthy. So if you wanted to do maybe Chapman and Strong I, I on the they, outside, I guess they did that against UNC after uh, yes after he got eject after Ch- uh, Chapman got 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 ejected after Connor Connor got ejected. Yeah. So, so that could also be a backup plan in case, but it it does have to make him feel a little bit better that it's not going to be Daz Newsome coming at him this year. It makes me feel better. (laughs) So, so we're spending all our time talking about players, but you know, you got, you got to talk about coaches uh, because we spent a lot of time talking about how great it is that, that Justin Hamilton got a chance to install his defense, work with everybody all spring, all fall, but he's still an inexperienced coach. And and we have no idea how he's gonna good he's gonna be as a defense coordinator with all the tools at his disposal. So I want to make fun of UNC here a little bit, and and maybe Please. you guys maybe you Let's. guys can help me figure something out. All right, so I'm gonna read this from our game preview that we posted this morning. So so UNC's offense coordinator is Phil Longo, and if you look Phil up on Wikipedia, he coached a high school team from '95 through '99. And then he started coaching at the college level in in 2000, which means including the 2020 season, he's been a college coach 21 years. 17 of those are as an offense coordinator. So he's got 17 years of offense coordinating experience, including, you know, a a great year last year and probably some other good years. Um, So 21 years, 17 is an OC. So you go and look at his profile on UNC's website and it says he is a 31-year coaching veteran. If you add the four high school years, it's still only 25 years. So I don't, I don't know where they get the extra six years from. And, of course, I couldn't resist. I said, Longo's clearly getting credit for seasons he didn't actually coach. It's the Carolina way. <laughs> but, but the NCAA is okay with that because anybody else can count years they didn't coach. <laughs> uh, now, not that I'm going to defend them. UNC in any way, shape, or form, because if you've read enough of my articles in the past, you know how I feel about them. It's possible that was just a typo. They meant, <laughs> that they meant 21. to type 21 instead of 31. Yes. Yeah. Well, yes, and they include the table at the bottom of his profile, right. which shows his 25 years of experience, including high school. So perhaps it so is So 21 a, in college, right? 21 years of college experience? Yes, yeah, so. but, but they do say a 31-year coaching veteran. They don't say college right. coaching veteran. Right. Okay. So it's a mystery. He's it's 15. UNC, so let's just assume they're doing things the <laughs> They're, they're making yeah, stuff up. exactly. Yeah, so, but anyway, back to the larger point. This, this is a guy with a lot of college coaching experience going up against a guy without a lot you know so we sit here and we talk about players and talk about players um yeah this this is a kind of a litmus test for justin hamilton early on as well and so hamilton may come out with a great game plan he may do some things with tisdale or barno or whatever to get some pressure and the first quarter might go really well and then the chess match starts and what happens after that well, and looking back at last year, you give up 56 points to a team. You're going to think that he's going to spend a lot of time on that film and making sure that uh, a lot of those issues are fixed. I believe Dax Hollyfield had a good quote this week uh, on the Carolina film from last week. David, what he said something about how the film from Carolina was just completely awful and they basically just threw it away. Yeah, Dax basically... <laughs> it's. It, it, I mean, so he was asked, like, well, first of all, he was like, man, I don't remember the exact quote he used. I put it in my in one of my stories this week. But he was asked, like, you know, 
looking back on it and he was just like yeah that was a really bad game and you know he said he they they were devastated you know looking back at that film and just seeing how north carolina just thrashed them on the ground i mean two running backs going for over 170 yards is pretty disappointing but uh yeah it's safe to say that the linebackers, particularly the guys who started last year, are, are fired up to get him back. Also, while we're on this topic, I'm, I pulled up the, the condensed game from last year, and I skipped ahead to the second quarter after Tremari was out. And at DB, because Divine Diablo wasn't playing in this game either, COVID, yeah. uh, Tyler Matheny mm-hmm. was the free free safety or one of the safeties and then uh jr walker was oh, the other yeah. safety and jr walker's like the third option it's it's yeah so and I, I can't see who who's that corner from this film but i i believe it was dorian strong and, and then dorian and Chad that was, was that, was that his first start for, 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 yeah, uh duke was his first duke, start, okay I think. Uh, so it's safe to say they were depleted on yes. the back end Yes, absolutely depleted. So that'll be something different, too. You've got your full stock of players available if you're Justin Hamilton, but you'd have to think that he has maybe something to prove after that game, after looking back at that film and seeing how North Carolina beat them, that Justin Hamilton has maybe a chip on his shoulder heading into this game. Yeah, remember that was his first game. Yes, that's true. Because he missed the first two. That's right. Uh, Ryan Ryan Smith called the defense against Ryan Smith called the defense against NC State. Then Ryan Smith got COVID or contract tracing or whatever. And, like, I think Jack Tyler was the defensive coordinator the next week. And he was a gratis. Not a, he was a quality control coach, right? Because Tracy Clay's was out that game too. <laughs> so Virginia Tech had three defensive coordinators in the first three weeks of, of the last season. I can't believe Tech only gave up fifty six points. <laughs> I, just, I just it's it's hard to take last season seriously in so I, many I, ways. Yeah. That that was kind of the theme when we talked about the roster from last year. Oh, this guy didn't get a fair shake because he had COVID, and this guy got an injury and had COVID. It seemed like and, that and, was, and we and we and we know and we know how it affected Virginia Tech. But I, I haven't. You can't study every other team. Like I'm not as familiar with the coaching staffs and the players at other schools, and nor can I search every newspaper article to figure out exactly who missed what game or anything like that. So everybody had issues to a certain extent. I know what Virginia Tech's issues were. Can I compare them to others? I can't. But right. So it's just, it's just like I don't want to base what I think is going to happen this season or this game too much on what happened last year. David. And, okay, so I, I'm looking at the starting lineup for Virginia Tech's defense last year. And this is just going in number numerical order. Dax Hollyfield, Gerard Hewitt, Emmanuel Belmar, Justice Reed, J.R. Walker, Chamari Connor, Rayshard Ashby, Armani Chapman, Jermaine Waller, Tyler Matheny, and Narelle Pollard. You'll see Dax start. You'll see Chamari start. You'll see Jermaine Waller start. And then potentially you'll see Pollard and uh, Chapman play. So that's five of the uh, 11 guys the 11, that yeah. started on defense last year that are still here. Yeah. Wish and, Hewitt was back. And, and, and you and yeah. And, and UNC was pretty much on offense full strength, right? Yeah. I believe yeah. so. I know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, they had all four of those NFL skill players. Yeah. If you, look at, the, Howell, if you look at so. the box score, they certainly looked full <laughs> They were full strength. Yeah. I looked. Is that, all? <laughs> is that all it was in 383 rushing yards? <laughs> right. uh, looking at this game, I have kind of thought that 
all the pressure seems to be on North Carolina. The question of this game is, is North Carolina a true contender? Is Sam Howell a Heisman contender? They're coming on the road to play in front of a Pac Lane Stadium, which fans haven't been in for two years. Do you feel like that's going to allow Virginia Tech, especially on the defensive side, to kind of play free and play fast? Uh, I don't, you know, Tech fans aren't going to like this, but but the whole the whole Lane Stadium thing. First of all, I love being there, and I love the noise, and I love the environment. And the 2019 UNC game that I missed was was must have been incredible. But uh, I told you this before we started recording the podcast. Since the start of the 2011 season, Tech is one in ten against ranked teams. Never mind top ten teams; they're one in ten against ranked teams in Lane Stadium. This isn't just a Justin Fuente thing; it goes all the way back, all and, the way back yeah. to, and even a even a Frank Beamer team, his 2011 team was good. They lost to Clemson at home, 23 to three. The only win was 2019 over Wake Forest, and Wake Forest was missing their best wide receiver, and then their quarterback got hurt. And then they kind of they, they didn't finish ranked. They kind of fell off a cliff after they, that they too. Nose so. dived, right. They because they were a good team, but they were thin and a couple of guys. And they were only like 23rd anyway, so they yeah, were yeah. 19th or something yeah. like that. So it's just it's it's. Uh, I don't want to play the whole the magic is gone crap. That's not necessarily true. It's just this has not been I'm I'm of the mind, and I know we've talked about this on the podcast before. I'm of the mind that Enter Sandman gets the other team fired up as much as it gets Virginia. Well think Tech. about UNC. Like uh, UNC is giving away tickets to their football games this year to first responders for free because they can't get anybody to go to their games, even though they're ranked in the top ten. Yeah. This is their only chance to play in front of a good crowd all year. A lot of and teams. And a lot of teams. It's like that for Miami. A I lot mean, of teams. Like this, that. Is, this is the best now, crowd they play in front of. Like Wake Forest. Wake didn't get to play in front of no, many crowds. No, right. Like now, now, if Tech was like in the – let's say Tech was in the SEC. When Georgia and, and Alabama and Florida and all those schools come up here, they'd be like, this is kind of boring. Yeah. We're, we're used to 120,000 people, yeah. right? Uh, but these other schools that are used to like 40,000 people at their games, they actually get excited because this is your one opportunity to play in front of a good crowd. Well, and I think part of the environment, obviously, is the students. And being on campus, Ooh. I feel like I've gotten the vibe that it's there is a buzz around yes. this game. Yeah. But the question is, <clears throat> are students going to show up for Enter Sandman uh, and leave? Uh, they'll, sh- they'll show up. Ah. Um, uh, I was having a conversation with some people at PKs last night, and obviously the student season tickets are sold out this year. And apparently, there is a high demand for for tickets from students who did, who were not able to get a ticket to UNC. Like there there are there some are buying regular tickets to go to the game. So I think there is a good demand from the students in this game. I don't think there's a good demand from the regular fan base for this game but i think the students are going to show up in force that, that's my opinion now what when they leave the game i i don't know i i think if they're entertained they'll stay well so it's a little different from your typical uh september game because this game starts at six o'clock first of all it's going to be a temperate day it's only going to be about 80 it's not going to be it'll be sunny but the forecast is there'll be some clouds but it's only going to be 80 by the time you kick off at six and you get into seven thirty or so some of these day games in early in the season, those students are boiling down there in that end zone. Oh, it's horrible. And I've talked to students in the past. I don't know what Brad Worthman has done for this year, but in the past, there hasn't even been like a water station down there underneath the stand. I had to buy this girl water a couple of years ago at a game because she was completely dehydrated and she left her wallet in her wherever. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, and but so yeah, and it was one of those 90 degree September games. 
and so yeah, it's 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 it can be rough down there. So it's it's going to be interesting. I think they'll show up in force. If I I think the game will be entertaining. Um, it they you, I think sunset is about seven twenty seven twenty five. So by the time halftime gets there, it'll be getting dark. Yeah. So I think they'll hang around. Well, and something important to note here is that half of the Virginia Tech undergraduate student body, this is their first game as a student because the sophomores didn't get to go last year and the freshmen. So you would assume that those two classes specifically are going to come out in full force. That's general admission for students. It is. So 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 my daughter is a sophomore this year, and, and we moved her off campus into an apartment, so she's off campus. And when classes started, she went to campus, went to class, and started texting us. I don't believe how many people there are at this school. She'd gone through her entire freshman year and not seen uh, the mass of students. The point I'm making is it's almost like it's a freshman year for her in some ways. You know, so there's got to be this huge level of excitement, like you said, amongst two full classes of students. And these classes that come in are uh, um, number six to 7,000 kids. So we're talking 12, 13,000 kids who've never been to a football game. David. Yeah, and you know what's interesting? I have some kids that I graduated with. They didn't get a senior year of football. Right. So That's they're scary. coming back and they're texting us and saying, hey, anybody know, like, where the cheapest place to get tickets is. So you've got my, my sister is a sophomore and she's in the same situation where she's like, this is insane. The amount of people. And so you've got two full classes and then you've got a class that just graduated that, you know, I'm sure I have friends that, that work in Charlotte and in Raleigh and in DC that are all coming back for the game. And they're like, I haven't gotten to see tech football in a year. I want to, you know, come enjoy this game. So it's going to be, I think for a lot of the younger folks, this is going to be a a really, I don't know, a big game because they haven't gotten to experience it in a while, especially if they were students. Plus, everybody's going to be all oiled up from tailgating all day. Yes, yes. I have friends that are getting here at like 7 a.m. to start tailgating. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess the big question with the environment and the – terror dome mantra does this atmosphere live up to some of those games of the past i mean looking back at ohio state the enter sandman and the environment for those first couple of drives defensively do you think that this game will be in that same type of category so let's say that um like anecdotally we know of some people who have like six season tickets but only one of them is coming so let's say we talked about we think the students and the young people will show Let's say the, the, the more older alumni crowd is, leaves some empty seats. Um, in a lot of football stadiums, there's no difference between 50 and 65,000 if the 15,000 who aren't there never really made that much noise anyway and were kind of fringe fans. If, so if you get your hardcore ones to show up, I think it'll be a great environment, even if it's not completely full. Yeah, Lane, Lane Stadium pre-expansion and pre-South End Zone expansion was just as loud as, yes. as Lane Stadium, if not louder than, than current Lane Stadium. I mean, all the South End Zone expansion did is it increased revenue with the club seats and, and indoor suites and things like that. But the main seats it added were half taken up by visitors' fans and the other half like your fringe fans who weren't Hokie Club members and who weren't season ticket holders and uh, – yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they and they're just not as emotionally invested. 
So it, that that didn't add a lot to the stadium from a noise standpoint, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that, and, and we've talked about that before. But so I, so I, Tech sat fifty five thousand or so before that end zone expansion, and I think there will probably be about fifty five fifty to fifty five thousand people in the stadium on Friday night. And, we'll see. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Well, it is listed as a sellout by Virginia Tech, so Hokies are hoping they get a big crowd behind them. Uh, before we get into YouTube questions, just one overarching question we if you read the preview on techsideline.com chris just put that up and it has excerpts from will and david as well and they all make their picks all three of them pick north carolina in that article but if virginia tech is to win the game what is one thing that has to happen for the Hokies to get the win so i i ultimately picked unc because of all the stuff we've talked about sounds sounds great and it sounds like this is going to be a really good game but in the end they have the best quarterback and uh, Chris and I have been doing this long enough, and and where where you learn not to go against the great quarterback, that doesn't mean they don't lose. But but the way I always pick games is, if they play this game ten times, who do I think will win it? Win it the most? I think UNC would win it the most. That said, I think it's going to be a really competitive game, really tight for Tech to win. They've got to. Well, you you've outlined some of it earlier. They they need to they need to get Sam Howell on the move. Um, that's not guaranteed success, but they, they need to make it difficult for him to get into a rhythm with his young receivers. And they need to do a pretty good job of stopping the run. Notice I'm not talking about Tech's offense. I actually think Tech's offense will do well. Um, that, that's the part of the game I'm not worried about. I'm worried about the other one. So, so you've got to disrupt the rhythm in the passing game and do a decent job stopping the run. Uh, don't give them, like, three-play drives where they can okay. score on big plays like that. They've got so many new players you know, make those young receivers make the right hot read decision for 10 or 12 plays yeah. and make them have to drive all the way down the field to score. Yeah. Uh, don't give up the, the three-play 80-yard drive that's, you know, capped by a 66-yard touchdown uh, because your safety made a mistake. Uh, and, and don't uh, screw up on special teams. Right. Well, that goes without saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't, don't turn the ball don't over. Turn don't screw over, up don't on special teams. <laughs> that's every yeah, That's every game, right? Uh but to, yeah, so to me is uh, avoid that big play through the air, and, and and if you can do that, I think it puts more pressure on UNC to drive the length of the field, and they're less likely to do that this year with a running game that probably won't be as dominant as it was last year, and with so many new receivers having to make side adjustments in a game for the first time, some of them playing in front of a crowd for the first time. Um, so, so that's to me, avoid those big plays. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned 11 of 60 deep balls from Sam Howell last year went for touchdowns, so that's going to be the key. I want to ask David the same question. Uh, what do the Hokies need to do to win against North Carolina Friday night? Uh, I was actually kind of going to go and say what Will said, but um, I'm going to change my answer because I do think Tech needs to stop the run. That's number one, and that's what Dax Hollyfield preached on Monday. He was like, we have to stop the run. And when, when you give up 400 yards, of course you have to stop the run. But Tech needs to get off to a fast start. Last year, North Carolina scored touchdowns on its first three possessions. Went touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Tech punted on its first two possessions and then finally scored on its third possession at the beginning of the second quarter. But at halftime, the score, North Carolina had scored three touchdowns in the first quarter and two touchdowns in the second. It, it was, what, 42 35, to... 35-14 or 35, 
Uh, yeah, something like yeah, that. thirty-five fourteen. I was doing math real quick. Thirty-five uh, fourteen at halftime. That's and in the six overtime game, UNC scored first couple times they touched the ball. Right? Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, I'm going to check that right now. Yeah. Uh, at halftime, that score Tech actually led it because Tech scored two touchdowns in the second. But but yeah, my my point is. You know, North Carolina, they scored three touchdowns and then punted twice and then scored three put- touchdowns and then punted and then scored they two punted? touchdowns. They, pun- they punted three times, which, of course, is record. They punted three whole times. But they nor- notice North Carolina didn't settle for a field goal. And I'm not saying don't settle for field goals. But but in in the first half, Virginia Tech scored two touchdowns, punted three times, uh, and then turnover on downs, and then ran the clock ran out of halftime. Wow. North Carolina in their first half, four, five touchdowns, two punts. Yeah. So right. if if you got to get off to a fast, so that's a start. different wrinkle of a fast start fast as opposed start. to do this schematically or do yeah. this on offensive yeah. defense. Yeah, nice. I like the key to the game there, David. And we're actually going to stick with you here. I think it's time to hear from some of our people in the YouTube chat. So we'll take a few questions from some people who are watching live. Okay, so um, I was trying to pick through questions. Uh, somebody, at, Tyler Comer, asked, he said, I would like to know what info you have that would suggest VT has a better offense than Carolina. So I'm going so to reconfigure that question and pose it as, when Sam Howell is obviously great, North Carolina, outside of him, when you compare the two offenses – where do they stack up? What offense do you think has the better advantage outside of Sam Howell? Well, I, th- I think Virginia Tech probably has a better offensive line. Uh, UNC's offensive line is, is experienced, and they got a lot, and they get a lot of hype. I actually don't think they're as physical as yeah. offensive line. And then, then Tech has a more experienced wide receiving core, and, and you know, uh, uh, Garrett Walston's caught some balls for UNC, but uh, you know, Tech I think does Tech, have Tech more. Has a, he's not James bit, Mitchell, yeah. right? And Tech has probably more depth at tight end too yeah uh, running back's a big unknown for both teams yeah so um, so i think if you're looking for where is tech better i think i think it's on the offensive line tight end and maybe not as physically gifted at wide receiver but certainly more experienced and more productive so far uh a question from zach baker and this can be a quick one uh, he said Norrell Pollard is listed as 6'1", 281. Jordan Williams is listed as 6'5", 285. Is the roster offer, or is Williams a small defensive tackle too? Uh, it's it's more than just weight. Uh, you know, Williams told me he was 290 at media day. I mean, he's got such long arms, and it's tough. Uh, and he's just a bigger guy. It's it's not just about weight. It's it's about frame and and, and all of that. And, and you, you, have, you have to find the, the right balance of athleticism and size. I, I do think – I do worry that Williams lost a little bit too much weight. But when, but when you're 6'5 and you've got a student-athlete performance center, I mean, he might be 300 now for all I know. Um, well, he, he said he felt more he, – he was over, he was like 310 at Clemson. and yeah, he got down 317. To, wow, so wow. way up there. And he got down to like 300 and said he felt good. Yeah. He felt better, so he lost more. Right. So that's coming straight from him. That's coming straight from him. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, to answer your question as far as size, it's not just about weight. It's, it's just about overall mass. And if you see Jordan Williams in person and see his legs and 
arms and yeah, uh, yeah. When, when you're right when you when you're at a practice and you see the defensive line group together he's uh he's different he yeah. looks different right. he's, he's just bigger and thicker yeah We'll do All a right. couple more. Yeah, two more. Uh, Larry Diagostino said, what do you think the Hokie offense can expose against North Carolina? Hopefully a soft defensive front. That's that's my hope. Uh, because if Tech can run – if Tech can have an effective running game and, you know, control the ball. And, look, the, the, the more plays Sam Howell is on the sideline, the better. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, uh, and I think you know, if, if you listened to the to the rest of the podcast, we've got some respect for their linebackers and potentially their corners, depending upon who mm-hmm. plays, but but not really for the interior and, and the line. So, yeah, set the tone at the line. The last one is a fun one. Uh, Thomas Ryder asks, uh, Chris and Will, how badly do you want to beat North Carolina? Oh God, uh, I. <laughs> I'll, I'll answer it this way: If if Virginia Tech goes eight and four and it's it's a it, it's a loss, there's a loss to North Carolina in there. I'd much rather go eight and four and beat and beat Carolina and beat like, Carolina and lose. We were having this discussion at PKs last night, and and there was one prediction set out there that was nine and three, and the three losses were to I guess Miami, Notre Dame, and West a third or, or West Virginia or whoever, but a third loss coming to Boston College. Right, and I'm like, I'll take that right now. That means we beat North Carolina. You know, I, I will tr- happily trade North Carolina and, and Boston College. Yeah, I really hate losing to Boston I, College. I guess, but the, the, the losing to Boston College, if you're going to lose a game, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You don't recruit against them. They're, right. they're not in your division. Right, right. So, the real okay. question might be: Would you rather go eight and four? but lose to North Carolina, or go seven and five but beat North Carolina? Mm. I think that may be where. The real question comes in. I, I don't. If we, if Tech loses the game, I don't want to be on the message boards on Saturday. <laughs> Dude, I've, I've, I've been searching so for very a, badly. That's how much I want to. I've win been the looking game. for a rival here in the ACC, <laughs> not Miami and not Virginia. Right. And this is it. You know the stuff that Mac Brown's doing there and the hype they're getting. That this is it. I'm, and and the know? and the 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 cultures of the program couldn't be more different. Like Fuente hates North Carolina because they're all glitz and glamour, and in a lot of ways, in some ways, more style than substance, which is like the complete antithesis of Justin Fuente's personality. Antithesis is actually antithesis. how that's pronounced. The complete <laughs> ant- antithesis of everything, actually, that the Virginia Tech football program was founded on. Right right down to the right. colors. I mean, this right, is a, right. a, a true rival. The only difference is, like, they don't have a, a fan base that cares all that much about football. Yeah, that's the is, only thing that holds it back. So I think, Thomas, the answer is a lot, I think, for both of them. <laughs> they want to beat them a lot. So, like, back at the height of the of the Tech-UVA rivalry, UVA's fan base cared. They were into it back in the 90s. That was a great rivalry at that point in time. To Chris's point about, yeah, UNC fans or whatever. Yeah. I think that that may be important, but maybe if North Carolina keeps winning, then the fans finally start to get into it. But they've always been more of a basketball school, obviously. Yeah. So uh, I think that'll do it for our YouTube questions, as always. Thank you for dropping those in there. And I think we, we've we gone over an hour and a half now. Don't you have a class this afternoon? I have a class at 4, so okay. I should I should be good to go. So and you got time. It's online, too, so just got to open up the computer so uh before we get out of here chris previews already posted on TechSideline.com. posted this morning yo our week is all downhill from here Mostly. yeah we just got a package and and put the podcast out there and good to go good yep. to go T- uh, kick off at six o'clock on friday we'll, so. have a, we'll have a brandon patterson kind of a video 
film thing for North Carolina tomorrow. But for the most part, we're done with content this week. And then after the game on Friday, recap, I assume. and David will be doing the recap. David will have I'll, recap. I'll do a column at some point on the weekend, probably Saturday, or probably maybe start on it Friday night, depending on what time I get home. Uh, but, yeah, nor- normal post-game content. Yep. And we should be back Monday morning with another podcast. I think we're going to start getting into the two-a-week schedule. I believe that's the plan. Yeah, so the plan is uh, Monday morning probably at 1030. David, has, has Virginia Tech said when the press conferences are going to be yet? No, that's interesting. Because what we want to do, so if you're still hanging around the podcast, what we want to do on the Monday podcast is we want to recap the game, but we also want to be – live when the press conferences are occurring so if anything comes out we can include that in the podcast so i think you're looking at a monday morning podcast and we got to hash out if the other one's going to be wednesday or thursday so we're going to get into the two podcast a week format one will be recapping the game and then we'll look ahead to the next week so on monday morning hope you can join us if not you can listen to it archived and we'll go through everything that happens on friday night in lane stadium That will do it for episode 187 of the Tech Sideline podcast. For our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, you can find him on Twitter at WillStewartTSL. Chris Coleman, our lead analyst and columnist, he is at ChrisColemanTSL. David Cunningham did a great job behind the scenes again. We're hoping maybe he won't have to do that and he can come join us here on the set, but he does a great job back there. Also, our managing editor, you can find him at TheRealDCunna on Twitter. I'm Jake Lyman. Again, we went through everything you need to know before the North Carolina game on Friday night as the Hokies kick off their 2021 season, and we'll be back Monday morning to recap that first game of the year. We hope you enjoy the game, Hokies fans, and have a great weekend.